Welcome back, everyone, to the Sit Down Community Podcast. Boy, I am excited today. I am your host, facilitator Stephanie Shaw, and I have the wonderful Spencer Taylor on with us today. I am going to let my friend take it over and introduce herself. Thank you so much for having me, Steph. I'm excited to be here. Um, so yeah, I'm Spencer Taylor. I, um, currently I, I work in higher education and I, um, went to APU with Steph. I studied, uh, Christian ministries. I've been in and out of ministry for a few years now. Um, I have a podcast that's church related, all things kind of like deconstruct, reconstruct faith, all of that jazz. So, um, I'm really excited to be here to talk about my life living with a mental illness and just how the church has played into that, both the good and the bad. So yeah, excited to be here. Yes. We are so happy to have her. Yes. We met at APU. She and her co-facilitator Josie have this awesome podcast called speaking in church. And I actually got to speak on it about social work and Christianity. Um, so definitely tune into that shameless plug right there, <laughs> uh, but just leaning into this conversation, really talking about, um, how the church has really defined supported or lack of supported mm-hmm. um, and really navigated the conversation on mental illness um, that it's more than just depression and anxiety. There's so many <laughs> different disorders uh, because our brains are complicated. Um, so this conversation is really just going to dive into that uh, with truth and vulnerability uh, and how we can see Uh, the true character of God and the true um, just advocacy that Jesus has for us uh, to invite us into freedom, even when we're um, navigating mental illness and and all the other things we go through in life. So Spence, just to start us off, um, would you mind sharing a little bit about just your experience with mental illness um, for yourself? Uh, Is Mm -hmm. it, does it run in the family? Give us a little background. Yeah. So my I always kind of like pinpoint it at around 14. Um, that's when I had my first, like, Oh, this is like a panic attack. Like knew what was happening. Um, my brother was in the hospital for really rare condition came out of nowhere. And because of that had like a lot of anxiety and, um, had my very first panic attack. My parents were in Phoenix. We were living in Arizona in a small town. My parents were in Phoenix with my brother and my aunts had come my mom's sisters to kind of take care of us while they waited for my parents to come back. And one of my aunts is a nurse. And I remember I was actually at youth group and my youth leader had to drive me home because I was like having like panic attack. And my aunt kind of explained to me, cause I thought I was dying. Like I was like, yeah. what is happening? And she explained, Oh, you're having a panic attack, like totally normal. Like you're under a lot of stress. Like it's okay. And I didn't have one again, probably for like another like year and a half. Um, but again, it was one of those of like, Oh, I've had this before. And as time progressed, you know, just you go through high school and different, you know, things of life events, trauma, what have you, and it progressively got worse. Um, My senior year of high school, I was seeing our church had like a Christian counselor, like on staff. Mm -hmm. And so I was seeing her maybe a couple times a month and um, was helpful at the time, just because my, my parents were having, you know, as much of a struggle as I was probably at the time of they'd never really dealt with this before. Mental illness was just not something that was talked about Mm -hmm. in their generation of growing up. And so even if it did run in the family, which it probably did just because of other 
um, circumstances that have happened with other people in my family. But again, it wasn't like named or anything like that. It was kind of swept under the rug. And so, you know, they had a lot of really great, genuine friends of praying for me and petitioning and um, helpful. I'm not saying they're like prayers obviously is helpful, but was harmful in the sense of, I know for myself and my mom, there were times where it felt like, are we not praying enough? Like, are we not doing something enough? Because there was no like freedom or like help for me. It just got worse going into college. Um, I think my freshman year, it kind of leveled out because going into freshman year of college, you're kind of living on this high of like, Mm -hmm. I'm an adult. I don't live with my parents. You're making all these new friends, Um, which later makes a lot of sense because um, later on in college, I was diagnosed with bipolar two, very different than bipolar one. Bipolar two is um, best described as seasons of seasons of, of up seasons of down. So depression or mania that can also coexist. Um, but not as severe and consistent as bipolar one. And so when I think about um, my year, my first year of college, honestly, it was probably uh, like a nine months of like a manic episode, Mm -hmm. but not like a dangerous one, if that makes sense. Just overall, like living on a good high of, again, all that excitement and all just like the vibes and just energy from people. And so Mm -hmm. um, just came off as like, yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, schoolwork wasn't that great because again, like there's still depressive episodes in there, but socially, mentally, yeah, I was on kind of a high. And then, uh, my sophomore year of college probably hit the very first, like true, like lowest point. Um, like my, I couldn't get out of bed for a couple days. My roommates were like terrified, like didn't know what was happening. And that was the first time that I went to, uh, like kind of seek out like medication, which was very taboo, like not something that the church ever talked about or you fix everything. And yes, exactly. And so, um, especially because like I said, my parents had a tight knit small group with mm. the same kind of core people for at this point years, like probably like five or six years. And right. so the fact that I knew like these people who, you know, like a pastor and his wife and, um, like, somebody that was like a deacon and an elder, like people that were like high quote unquote in the church, like Mm -hmm. should have like spiritual authority in my eyes. And I'm like, if these people are praying for me and there is still no freedom, there is no relief. And like, there must be something I'm doing that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and comes into that balance of the shame culture and like, and unfortunately, like the fine balance between like what's sin and like what's mental illness, Mm. because there are certain things that again, later throughout diagnosis, find out certain behaviors and patterns that I had exhibited Would a lot of Christians would be like, well, that's just sin. And then figuring out that like, okay, but what happens if like my brain is literally like on autopilot and I can't control certain things. And so yeah, sophomore year of college, I'm like 19 at this point, um, got put on my first ever like anti-anxiety, antidepressant, and it like kind of worked, but then it didn't because again, later uh, when I found out that I was diagnosed with bipolar, there's very specific medication for that because it's a mood disorder more than anything. And so, um, I started going to therapy weekly all of this provided by APU, which was really surreal because again, of 
doctors and nurses and therapists from a faith perspective, when for me, the faith community had always addressed it as like, we're going to pray for you. Mm-hmm. Instead, this was like, Hey, we have like actual, like medical steps we can take while right. we pray for you. Mm-hmm. And that was like, so healing for me because there was one nurse in particular that worked in the student health center. And every time I came in, like she would like go out of her way to make sure that she could be the one to like take care of me. Mm -hmm. And there was a time where like, I was like having an anxiety in the office. Like Mm -hmm. she's trying to take my blood pressure and like, can't get a reading because I'm like so anxious and like, I'm like crying, like hyperventilating. And she literally just stopped everything. And she just held me and was like, repeating this verse over me of like, he who gives perfect peace, like shall Mm -hmm. give it to you. And like, all of this stuff of just in that moment, realizing like, oh, like this is valid. Like Mm -hmm. people can acknowledge that like God is going to take care of me, but also acknowledge that like he gave us medicine and science for a reason to help with these things. And so that kind of started, you know, this exploration with the doctor at APU was like, I don't think it's just anxiety because for a while we thought uh, it was GAD, which is generalized anxiety disorder. Mm. He was like, this isn't it. Like there's other things that are happening. And so had to take some, um, I don't know, like, I don't know how to describe it. Almost like a personality quiz. Like he would ask you questions and you'd be like, yes or no, or like scale of one to 10. And then identify behaviors, which um, again, this gets into like the sinful versus like, what is like a symptom because there are certain behaviors in bipolar, like hypersexuality that I was so afraid to admit because one, I was going to a Christian university to right. studying ministry. Yeah. And so when this doctor is like, how many sexual partners have you had in the last year? Like me being like, is he going to tell on me? Like, am I going to get in trouble? Like yeah. is my whole life about to be like thrown off the rails mm. and him having to be like, listen, like I get it. Like we're at a Christian school, but like, I'm a doctor. Like, I want to help you. Like, Mm -hmm. I want you to answer these questions honestly, because this can help figure out what's wrong. And so having to have those conversations of like realizing of like, yeah, like there are certain things that I like did like sexually that I was like, I would have never done that if my mind was in the right state, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so being able to be honest about that again, and leading to a diagnosis that a lot of people would think like, oh, that's terrible because bipolar is, is labeled and stigmatized as like a quote unquote extreme mental illness. Mm. Um, but I found so much freedom in it because for the first time in my life, I understood what was happening in my brain and I was able to actually do something about it. I was able to like track moods beyond proper medication and make changes in my daily life that improved not just my mental health, but my, you know, my relationship with God, because it was so strained mm-hmm. because there's nothing worse than, um, you know, again, being told the same sort of like cast your anxieties on him and he cares for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I've been doing that for at that point, probably four or five years and being like, so does he just not care for me? Like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. Um, because yeah, at the time when I finally was diagnosed, I was, I was a senior in college. So the fact that for, um, from senior year to high school, to senior year of college, a constant battle of trying to figure out what was quote unquote wrong, Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, there was a lot of freedom in yeah. having a diagnosis when I know a lot of people feel the opposite. Um, and I think part of me is like passionate because I want to change that, like realizing that naming things brings freedom. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of a little bit about where that journey is. Um, I met my now husband a few months later and again, just navigating of, you know, how do you tell somebody like, Mm. Hey, like I have bipolar disorder, like how do you navigate that? And then, um, later down the line, having to deal with that with, because I was never, I never shied away from it. Like, Mm -hmm. I think the stuff remembers like as soon as I, I got it, like, I remember telling my friends, like, I finally know what's wrong and like mm-hmm. celebrating that and having conversations with people of like, Hey, like, you're right. Like, this is great news. Like, cause we, like, we can help support you better. Like, you know what to do and things like that. And, um, uh, yeah, really hard. Cause I, I love my in-laws. They're great people. But, um, when my husband and I, we're kind of talking about getting engaged and getting married. Um, they had some really negative things to say about being bipolar, because again, the church and society has very much like worst case scenarioed it. And so they instantly were like, I knew so-and-so had bipolar and like they committed suicide. Like you, you shouldn't like get married to her. Cause what if that happens? Or like just so many things of not even realizing that like, this isn't even just like a dig on people with like bipolar, but like a personal dig on me and like mm-hmm. almost being like people who have this don't deserve the same things as other people. Wow. And not even just like the hurt for me, but like, I remember talking about this with my mom and like, like just the thought of like people would think her child is, is not deserving of something because of something that I couldn't prevent and something that, you know, I'm sure my parents have anxiety because there's no proof that bipolar disorder is genetic. Like there's studies that kind of have an inclining that it could be hereditary, but again, a lot of nature versus nurture kind of background behind that. And so, you know, like there's a point where I'm sure they've had like their own guilt of like, could I have done something different or, you know, like what could I have done to like prepare better? And so it's just heartbreaking because I think that's another thing the church doesn't address of mental illness isn't just about the person it's about their family. It's about their friends because when someone you care about is portrayed in a certain way, like that's so hurtful. And like, how do you, how do you navigate that when so many other people are saying like, Mm -hmm. they're saying things that are like believed commonly to be truth, but is, is that what God has said is the truth? Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that, unfortunately is a lot of construed of like, you know, like there's so many like Christian sayings, like Christianese that people just think are truth and biblical when it's not. And I think when we get into mental illness, like that's one of the biggest things that I'm passionate about of like, how do we do better church? Because we're not right now, like across the board, like so many people talk about not even just like walking away from the faith, but also just being like, how do I stay in a system that has constantly just belittled or invalidated mm. what's happening in my life? So, yeah. yeah, wow, that's so powerful. Thanks for sharing that point. Even just on 
like when you finally have a diagnosis, it's like <laughs> some people are like, well, does that make you more stressed out? I know um, just in my own experience, I had uh, severe depression when I was in Detroit and finally got on um, medication for about 10 months. And I remember telling the doctor, I had so much shame because I wanted to be the family member who didn't need this. I wanted to be the one who wasn't broken because that's how it was portrayed to me that my mind was broken and that I should be stronger than this. And that, um, I even had a boyfriend who told me, he's like, I don't understand why you're sad. You have a job, you have a car, you have your own apartment. Like this just doesn't make sense. I don't think you should be sad. Mm -hmm. And when you have someone who you say, I love you to every day, say that to you, it's like, what, (laughs) like, how have we messed up so badly? Like Jesus came for the least of these and who were seen as the greatest and literally every single person in between that, which means like there were plenty of the people of people in the Bible with mental health issues. There were plenty of the people with, you know, physical ailments. What do you think, um, what do you think is a solution or like steps we can take towards, understanding even, and this is where I geek out because I love neurobiology and trauma, but how can we do better at the church in within the church and the body of Christ of really, I think educating ourselves better of there are things in the brain that are outside of our control that have genetic contributions Mm -hmm. that play into this. What does that look like for you and even your own family and with you and Jack? Yeah. Um, you know, starting just with my family, cause my parents obviously have been the ones on this journey with me the longest, um, you know, just really like a sense of surrender, like not just surrender to God, but like surrender to sort of like the process. Because yeah. again, I, I know for a fact that like my parents probably more than anybody in my life have prayed and petitioned for me in ways that like, that like God is like honored by. Mm. And so just understanding that like part of that process for them of like, again, of like God answers prayers and like does things that we don't understand. And so for them, probably one of the best prayers to be answered would be that I chose to go to a school like APU that valued both. Mm. Because unfortunately there are Christian schools that if the same thing was happening to me, I would have not received the same services. I would have not received the same treatment plan, the same care from doctors, nurses, also like just other faculty and staff, like professors, campus pastors would not have received the same care. And so just even like acknowledging that of what is like a practical solution from like churches, like, I don't know, this might be a hot take, but I think if you're in ministry that maybe you should like study the brain a little bit, like human development. Like, I think those are basic, Mm -hmm. those are basic things that I think, especially if you're working with like teenagers, like, I think that's something that every pastor should do. Even if it's, you're just going to take a couple classes at the local community college, like it's better than nothing because exactly what you said, there's so many outside factors of just genetics play a role into it. Um, social culture, um, just like happenings under like influence it again, like 
nature versus nurture. There's so many things that impact this, mm-hmm. but if you don't even have just at least a little basic understanding, like you're not going to be able to truly minister to people. And again, I think another hot take of like <laughs> realizing that pastoral counseling is not the end all be all. And that's not for everybody. That's not going to fix everything. Yeah. Um, because yeah, there are just certain things that pastors are not equipped for because um, mental illness, like, is not just a spiritual battle. Like it can be like, there's definitely times where like my, my mental health has been impacted by spiritual things, but there's other times when, you know, like I, I was in going to church every week. I was in a small group going mm-hmm. to chapel. Is at a Christian school? Like yeah. was serving in ministry, doing all these things, right. And exactly what you said, like had no reason to be sad or had no reason to do this or that, but was still experiencing this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just having that, vali- like giving that validity to people of like, Hey, like we see you mm-hmm. and like, we care about you. Yeah. And a pastor being humble enough to be like, this is a problem that's bigger than what I can handle. And that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. I still want to support you. Like we can still have like pastoral counseling meetings, but understanding that there are certain parts of this that you need to seek other help for. And that's okay. That doesn't make your ministry invalid. That doesn't make you a bad pastor. Mm-hmm. Makes you a better one, actually. Right. Amen to that. I think there's an assumption. <laughs> this is just from uh, my interactions with uh, just a few different pastors, but it was the assumption that, well, people come to me with deep and heavy problems. So that even though I'm not, you know, a clinical psychologist or therapist or social mm-hmm. worker, I still. I know how to do it just the same as you do. And for someone who spent six years getting two degrees and, and, and it's not even the years, it's not even the degrees. It's, I spent time sitting in the trenches with myself and sitting in the trenches with other people and really Mm -hmm. sitting through horrific trauma. You can't tell me that you've experienced the same thing in a pastoral setting because Yes, it's a social service of sorts, but it's not the same way. Um, And so what do you think without taking away their own experience and training and um, I guess just expertise, how Mm -hmm. can we encourage pastors to push towards clinical counseling for people? Mm -hmm. I mean... I love this because this is what I studied at APU. I, mm-hmm. you know, my, my major was Christian ministries and my emphasis was in social work. We took some social work classes yeah. together and I did that intentionally because I think there's gaps to be bridged within both. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like when you're practicing clinical social work, like there's a lot of times you can't use your faith, like in certain scenarios, yeah. which is valid. And I totally understand why. And I, and I don't think that should change. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the, in like the church context, the church wants to you know, in the, in some very genuine, genuine ways and some other just like full of themselves ways, they want to be the saviors of the world. Yeah. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, you need practical training in that. And so that's why I chose to take kind of that social work route because I wanted to bridge those gaps. Mm -hmm. And I think when, when thinking about that again, of just, you know, I've been to churches that have had, that have had Christian counselors on staff. Yeah not necessarily like 
like like certified like mfts or anything like that maybe just did a christian counseling program which like i have mixed feelings on yeah and then i have other ones that have done like legit like mfts maybe even phds like they know what they're talking about mm-hmm. and they're serving in the local church and they don't have a private practice because they want to use their services at the church and they're preaching they're doing all this and that and i think that's amazing because you have somebody on your staff that is seen by your church as a, a spiritual, like a spiritual head, somebody they can trust that knows their biblical knowledge, but also has the other training that's needed. So that way they are able, exactly what you said, it opens that door of there are times when, you know, especially people who have never been to therapy and because it has such like a, like a weird shame to it within a lot of Christian communities, they want to open up to a pastor. So if you have somebody like that on staff, it opens the door to have that conversation of like, right. I'm so glad you shared this with me. I want to help you spiritually and support you. I think we should also talk to so-and-so because they have a lot more training than I do in certain areas that I think can really benefit you. Mm. And even if, you know, I understand like the logistics of maybe it's too hard to have one on staff at every church, then start partnering with people, partner with local organizations of like, whether it's, you know, Christian nonprofits that have licensed clinical social workers on staff, it's, you know, calling up, if you just do a Google search of like therapists in my area, a lot of them put their religious like affiliations on there because that's important to people. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure if you called one and said, I'm a pastor at this church, I really want to meet with you because I know that there are things that my congregation needs and I want to have a resource I can point them to. Can I meet with you? talk about some things, maybe get some of your colleagues, you know, like I can guarantee you that so many would be open to that because mental illness and just the shame factor that's put on it in the church is so rampant Mm -hmm. and they want to end that cycle. Yeah. And so is it going to take you a little bit more work? Yes. Are you going to have to humble yourself? Yes, but it's worth it because I think that's a kingdom value of realizing that the body of Christ, you know, a pastor is the heart well, you need a psychiatrist on staff because they're the mind. Like, yeah, you need help. Amen. So good. I think too, I just think of the need for community. And I remember just being encouraged. Oh, just find one mentor. It's like, no, I need wisdom in a lot of different places going yeah. through college, going through just the complete and utter confusing storm of post-grad life of, Oh, it's time for me to pay bills now. And it's time for me to navigate being a professional full-time and go to church Mm -hmm. and take care of my body and my mind and all these things. And I think building community is, is so important. Um, but I want to go back to something you mentioned, um, when you were sharing your testimony, how do you feel like, um, in those moments where you felt like people, um, basically made you feel undeserving, which it it sounds. Mm -hmm. And, um, how did you find belonging within the body? How did you find a deep intimacy with God as father and, and Jesus as the son who literally gave his life for all of us, mm-hmm. um, and didn't have any, okay, well, if you're mentally ill uncheck, I don't support that one. Or if you have oil yeah. men, I don't support you. And even the Holy spirit, how did you really learn how to grow your relationships when you felt like you weren't, uh, 
given access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there are certain times where honestly, like, wasn't in Christian community because of that, mm-hmm. which I think to an extent is valid, you know, sometimes yeah. people need to step away because they're just not finding it and they need to see God intentionally for themselves. And so there was a time that that was what I was doing. Um, it's like, there's a weird balance of going from the church. I came from as a high schooler to going to APU that first year at APU, I was not active in a local church. I was like, I go to chapel three times a week. Mm-hmm. Like I had a, um, I had a spiritual mentor at APU. So for me, I was like, I'm set, you know, like I hear a sermon two, if not three times a week, depending on the kind of chapel I'm at. I have my spiritual <laughs> right. mentor that I meet with every other week. Like, and that was enough for me. And again, when I got into um, my sophomore year, same thing, I was kind of starting to go to a church at the time. Um, but was mostly still relying on like chapel and my mentorship. And then I was going to my therapy who he was a Christian counselor. So again, I was like, I'm still like in the community. I'm still in the body of Christ. And then going more towards when I feel like I became like a real adult, like end of college, (laughs) like post-college, um, you know, it was hard because I, the church that I had ended my, my time in university at was very, um, took mental health very seriously Mm -hmm. and knew that it was like a real thing again, had like an actual, like psychiatrist or uh, actual, like sort of like psychologist on staff. And like, I did not feel any shame in like taking medication. Like Mm -hmm. the, the pastor I worked for, like, like prayed that like when I would go to the doctor, like that my like dose would be great, that like the medicine was working, like truly believed in it. And so I was like, cool, this is great. And then I graduated and I moved to Orange County and I had to find a new church. And I was like, why is this so hard? <laughs> like, wow. why is it so hard to find a church that like just validates that this is a real thing? Right. And um, honestly, I found good Christian community in really weird places. I um, was kind of off and on going to a church with a friend that um, we had uh, met working at Christian camp. And then we both ended up working at Disney at the same time, which was totally weird. Totally. Like one of those, like only God could do it. Right. (laughs) And her and I were kind of off and on going to this church because our work schedules were crazy. Um, but during that time going into working at Disney, like I was praying so hard because it was post-grad Jack and I were like talking about marriage and I was like, God, like I want to get married, but like, I also like need, I need friends. Like (laughs) I don't want to get married and have no friends. Like, what am I going to do? And so really was like, I hope that like, even if they're not Christian, like you just bring me good people. You know what I mean? And he brought me a good mix of both. One of my best friends to this day now is a Christian, a great believer. We worked our whole season together at Disney. And to this day, we text weekly, praying for each other, talking Mm -hmm. to each other about like life transitions and just how things are going. And I think- for me, it was really being open to the fact that like, again, I think the church has a really great role, but I think some people get so hung up on it when I found really great Christian community just in my daily life with people mm. because I was open to it. Yeah. And so, yeah, like had really great friends at Disney that were Christians, had some that weren't, but also at the end of the day was like, I felt comfortable with who I was. 
And I honestly think that was part of the bigger problem mm-hmm. of still had this kind of like leftover, like shame and trauma of like, I don't want to admit that I'm like broken. Like you said, like, I don't want to admit that like I need help. And so when I got to a point where, like I said, I wasn't shy about it anymore. And I talked to like very openly, like through my social media. And because again, I think social media is great and terrible at the same time because it's such a highlight reel. Mm -hmm. And so I told myself that like, I want my highlight reel to be real. So I want it to talk about what's, what it's like living with bipolar too. Mm -hmm. And so I would post about that and it would get lots of great responses. Like, obviously I'm sure there's people that you know, talk crap offline, but yeah, uh, like lots of great, like encouraging comments and DMS. Um, mm-hmm. but then that's kind of what sparked the conversation with my in-laws. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I got to this point where I was like, this is my life. Like, this is my truth. And so, um, like their criticism, isn't going to change anything mm-hmm. and the church acceptance or not acceptance, isn't going to change it. Right. So I need to just like, I really just was like, this is it. And if I, go to a church that is like, yeah, that's not true. Then I'm going to be like, cool. Peace out. Cause I know where I stand with Jesus. So, um, yeah, once I get became confident enough of just like, like I said, this is my life. This is it. Like God's already got this. And so I, if people don't want to be along for that, then I don't have to take them with me. Mm. And then I, um, finally committed to a church community that again, like validated it, but also was just these kind of people that were like, everybody's in the thick of it, honestly. Like even even if people don't want to admit it, like everybody's in the thick of it. Um, And I'm a big advocate. I'm sure you probably are too, Steph, that I think everybody needs a little therapy. And if you don't believe in therapy, well then you, (laughs) I'm like, and if you don't believe in therapy, well, you can talk about that in therapy. So, (laughs) so good. Let's take people out of it. Let's take church out of it. How do you navigate quiet time with God? How do you interact with him? Um, And I say intimacy in the sense of, I think for me, I was like, before I was like, what do you mean intimacy? Like I read my Bible and I pray, like, what else do you want from me? And then I had deep encounters with God um, where it was like, oh, this is what people are talking about. It was, uh, I kind of explain it best of, I don't know if you've watched what a girl wants with Amanda Vines where she, yes. <laughs> and, and she meets with her, her dad in the kitchen. It's like midnight. She has, you know, jet lag. She wants some cereal and it's just, she meets her dad in this dark kitchen with just, you know, the back lights on and they just have a conversation and talk. And I think mm-hmm. for, the years I was in Detroit and Dallas, it was a lot of those God meeting me in the midnight hour of God, I'm tired. I had insomnia at that point. I wasn't sleeping well. I was like, all right, God, like I need you, like meet me. Um, and recently it's kind of shifted of God is like, all right, like we've met in the midnight season, you're in the dawn season, you're in the light season. Mm -hmm. I'm going to change my location. Uh, and really seeing God now with in the throne and it just being light. And I think I had to get less impressed with darkness, um, and more impressed with what God could do, uh, within it. And, and then with Jesus, I, I realized it was last year, uh, 
yeah, it was last year before the pandemic hit. And I told God, I said, Lord, I feel you. And at that point I was still in my little kitchen, uh, kitchen mm-hmm. interactions with Jesus or with God. And then I was like, I always feel the Holy spirit. I feel very protected, but I don't feel like I know who your son is, who gives me access to you in the first place. And so I started praying and I'm like, Jesus, like, I want to know you. And I remember receiving a few visions from God and, and recently, even just this year, um, just understanding the Jesus who sacrificed everything for me. It's mm-hmm. not the beautiful, you know, transcendent white Jesus who's just rising up to heaven on the cloud and light. It is mm-hmm. the Jesus who was fully man and fully God, who had a crown of thorns that went into his head and just blood dripping down and sweat and kicked on dirt from having to carry a cross up a mountain. And I think when we get vulnerable to accept that version of Jesus as being very uh, much like us in our human brokenness and our need for God, our need for salvation, because it's the only thing that gives us true freedom. I think I finally got it of like, that's my Jesus. My Jesus Mm -hmm. came and he spoke truth into the areas where I felt broken. He changed because we have the mind of Christ. He changed my thought process so that I stopped believing these lies. People were telling me that there must be something wrong, or I'm doing something wrong, or I don't have mm-hmm. enough faith, or I'm not trusting God properly. It was always, mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong. Um, and so how have you learned in your own intimacy with God and your own quiet time, uh, mm-hmm. to really understand the Trinity? Yeah, I think, um, almost a little bit opposite of, I think during that kind of like in the trenches, like, like fighting mental illness, trying to figure out what was truly wrong. Mm. Um, and then some of that post-grad life was really like, like meeting Jesus because I, um, I became a Christian as a teenager. So a little bit later, didn't know all the Bible stories, didn't know the veggie tales. Like I remember being like my freshman Bible class and embarrassed because they were talking about the movie, the Prince of Egypt. Yeah. And I had never seen that movie. Oh, <laughs> it was repeated my house. <laughs> yeah. I'd never seen it. And I was embarrassed because yeah. they were like talking about it. They were like, well, how does it like hold up to the actual like Exodus story? And I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. I don't freaking know. Yeah. And, um, and now I love that movie, but, uh, yeah. besides that, I think again, it, it was like being in these trenches of like, yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard these great things about him, but like, who really is he? Like, who is Jesus? And like these stories from the old Testament prophecies that show into the new Testament of his life, like, who is that? And so that was really a season of that, not so much concerned with the spirit or like God, the father was really like, who is Jesus? And then, um, you know, when COVID hit, I was like really in tune with kind of like, like, I always knew that like, I like loved the Holy spirit, but I didn't really, I didn't really like truly know like their importance, um, her importance, you know, a lot of times the Holy spirit is described in like a female way, especially in the old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so just like the life that the spirit that she gives, like I'd never really leaned into that. 
and COVID, my husband and I got married literally the week before, <laughs> like we got married on Sunday. And I think the we got married on Sunday. I think the state officially locked down by like that Friday. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a really weird time of, we got thrown into our first year of marriage locked down together, mm-hmm. cut off from our people. Yeah. And, um, it was like cut off from like the incarnation, if that makes sense, like could not be with people that were like the hands and feet for me, Yeah. but, but, but really learning of like, yeah, but the spirit like mm-hmm. connects us all, like connects all people, all yeah. things like, and again, this is where I get a little bit like more like my mom would say like hippie woo woo, but like, I really like <laughs> believe in like the Holy yeah. spirit, like being really in everything and everything being connected. And there's no such thing as like a, like a happenstance or like coincidence, like really believing that we are all divinely connected. Mm. Even if people don't believe that, like that, that's just the truth. I believe. Um, if any of you are familiar with like strength finders, my number one is connectedness, which makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just like, I leaned so much into that. I did so much searching of like, And again, there was so much pain within COVID of not just the pandemic, but there was, you know, racial tensions, there was political tensions. There was so much stuff that I was like, okay, but like the spirit is literally in everything. Mm -hmm. And I leaned into that so much of, you know, Josie and I had started our podcast and um, Jack and I were going through this really hard time of like, COVID put a lot of things into perspective of we were living in Orange County. He was at a job that he had been at for almost a decade was very good to him. Mm-hmm. I started working for the same company and they were very good to me through a majority of the pandemic. And then it really just got to the point where like, listen, I, I did the, I did the books. I did payroll. I know we weren't doing great. So they had to lay me off. I'm not mad about that. Yeah. And we really were just like, is this an opportunity? Mm-hmm. Like, is this our opportunity to really figure out what's important to us? Yeah. And the spirit really revealed of, again, of going back to like being connected and we didn't want to be disconnected from people anymore. Mm -hmm. And even though there was friends and people we loved in Orange County in Southern California, we really were like, where's the longevity in this? Like, where is this being like, where is this leading us? And we really were like, I had wanted to go back quote unquote home to Arizona Mm -hmm. for a long time. And Jack had really kind of like in weird Christianese, like his heart had softened, like to the idea. And it was very much of like, no, you're right. Like I want, this isn't the kind of place that I want to be. It's not the kind of place I want to raise our kids in. Like, I want to go somewhere where we're really going to be aligned with each other because trying to survive and raise a family in Orange County on those prices was not going to bring my husband and I together, (laughs) was really going to drive us apart because we were going to have to be out of the house and working so much more. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, like the spirit brought me into this real intimacy of being open to the unknown. And so he literally told his job, like, I'm going to be gone by March 1st. Like, doesn't matter if my wife and I have jobs, nothing matters. Like our lease is over, we're leaving. Like, Mm-hmm. we'll have to stay with her parents as long as we have to, like, we're just going to do it. And it was really this shot in the dark of like trusting and just really feeling like 
everything's going to be okay. And there were times where I was on the phone, like with my mom, like in tears, like, am I doing the right thing? Like yeah. I've applied for so many jobs. I've done so many things and like nothing is panning out and I'm so stressed about it, but I feel in my gut, like this is the right thing we're supposed to do. Yeah. And you know, and so many times you just feel like God's going to take care of it. Like mm. it's going to be okay. Yeah. And you know, here we are. My husband has a job he loves. I have a job I love. Like we're in in community with people. And then a whole new level of intimacy has come because um, now we're expecting our first child. And I can't wait to get (laughs) this. That literally, um, that literally changed so much Mm. because now I'm at this point where like, I always thought of, you know, God, the father. And I, my dad was an alcoholic for a long time. And so I always kind of thought of like, oh, you know, God, the father, like filling in the gaps where my earthly father can't. Mm-hmm. And like, that was great. But again, I think it was more of a bandaid. Yeah. And so literally now for me, like, like the most overwhelming and spiritual experience of my life of like participating in creation with the creator. Mm-hmm. And like, I have this like, whole new like reverence like for god the father like god the creator of all things that i like never thought possible and it sounds so cheesy but like currently 21 weeks and however many days like the moment i found out to now like has truly been the most spiritual experience of my life Mm -hmm. and i think it's because i live in this reality of like Like I've seen like the evidence of his works in my life. Yeah. Because if you told, you know, the, the 20, 21 year old Spencer who was in the thick of it Mm -hmm. of mental illness, bipolar disorder, who thought she was unworthy, like who thought Mm -hmm. nobody was going to want to come on this journey with her. Nobody was going to want to partner in life with her that now, like, Hey, like you've been married for a year and a half and you're expecting a child, like Mm -hmm. it would honestly like blow her mind. Yeah. And again, like the intimacy I have with God now is just so much of like gratitude and reverence and like feeling empowered and not in like a, I think a lot of times, unfortunately, like when the church talks about like God empowering you, it's like militarized in a really weird way of like, again, we can go out and save the world. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we can't, but like, what I feel empowered by God now is just so much more of like, Mm. I'm empowered that like, like my bipolar disorder is under control that like I can be healthy enough to not have to take medicine, which gives me the power to have a child. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I could be empowered to like fight for my healthcare, to have doctors that want to like work with me and like give me adequate care the fact that I'm empowered again to have really great relationships with my in-laws and mm-hmm. to see their hearts change and their minds change because of just not even education. It's not like I like sent them articles, like you should read this or you should read that. It was literally just like, I'm just going to be who I am. And like, I know that's enough for God. And I know it's enough for my family. And I know it's enough for your son. So if it's not enough for you, like that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. Right. And now to have like the most awesome relationships with them, like it's truly just one of those things where I'm like, 
it's God giving me the confidence of like, this is it. And like, this is what intimacy with me is like, it's being confident in who you are. It's knowing who I've created you to be. And it's not saying that I don't have hard days. It's not saying that there are times where I don't lay in my bed for a couple hours and I don't want to go anywhere. And my husband's like, you just feel in some type of way. And I'm like, yep, just feel in some type of way. Like, yeah. don't know how to explain it. That still happens. And yeah. that's okay. Like, and not being afraid of that, not being afraid to like, tell my mom, like, Hey, I'm having a really hard time. And like, not being afraid of her, like worrying about me. Cause the, yeah. now that now that I'm growing a human, I know just the reality of like, my mother's going to worry about me for my whole life. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, and you know what? God, like God doesn't worry about me, but God thinks about me mm-hmm. and he holds me the same way that my parents do even more so. Yeah. And so, yeah, for me, intimacy with him and just finding him was so much of like, like accepting things about me that others had said were wrong or others had said that like, we're not good. And like you said, like digging into scripture of just like truly knowing of like his character, knowing how the spirit and how the son and the creator all work together. And then obviously like the cheesy, like, you know, there's sometimes when like certain worship song just hits different, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And, um, also this like new not like obviously not at all new but new for me of because I grew up in like non-denominational circles now I attend um a Methodist denomination which is rooted so much in liturgy and like tradition which I find healing because it reminds me again of I believe all of us are connected through the spirit Mm -hmm. and so the fact that I can participate in prayers that have been said for like a thousand years or like I can participate in like liturgies that not just like the Methodist church, but so many denominations across the board Mm -hmm. participate in because like he is our God and like all of us are connected. Like, Mm. I don't know. I just get like warm, fuzzy feelings from that. So hippie woo woo. uh, Yes, exactly. That was very long winded. I'm not sure if I answered the question, but that was really good. I think too, it's, it's this, it's this closeness to God when you understand where he's brought you from in your limiting beliefs and just thinking, Oh, I'm unworthy. And I'm these things I'm it's taking all these things that other people are saying, releasing it, and then figuring out what God says. And it's like a moment where it just all of a sudden it snaps in your mind of, wow, God loves me for me Mm -hmm. individually fast in my heart. And, um, how would you encourage those listening to have conversations with family? Um, maybe they're feeling like they need to start going to counseling. Maybe they feel like, uh, medication might be, um, a good option. How would you encourage people to, um, have those conversations with parents, with siblings, even just Mm -hmm. have such different reactions, friend groups. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it's something that's totally, it's layered and nuanced. It's hard. I, again, I recognize like the, just like, I don't know if it's privilege or just like the honor I have that one, my parents, my parents, like, again, have actively gone on this journey with me and have validated it. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, I was on their insurance 
until like three months ago (laughs) that like they um like encouraged me to go find services Mm -hmm. and so I didn't have to like tiptoe of like can you not like oh how do I make sure like my mom doesn't find out that I'm like using her insurance to go here you know what I mean like I never had that and I understand that some people do and Mm -hmm. so like if you're if you or family or your parents or you know you know that somebody is going to react in a negative way like part of me is like, do it anyways. Like yeah, find somewhere that can help. Um, there are so many resources that again, especially in terms of like mental health and like all of that kind of stuff, like patient confidentiality is like number one. And so if you explain to them, like, I like, they can't know, like they're yeah. going to work with you. So find help and seek it. And then again, like when you are at a place that you feel like you're you're healthy enough isn't the right word, but like you're in a place where like you have a support system that if like the blow was hard, like you're still going to stand from it. Like, yeah, again, it's in that confidence of like knowing God has you and finding a support system. That's going to like, that's going to roll with it. Mm. Um, because yeah, unfortunately I have friends that like their parents really are just like, like therapy is of the devil. Like it's terrible. Like you should talk to your pastor and like, I can't imagine what that feels like. Mm. And so I just highly, highly encourage you to one, find people who want to help and, and get the help because like, even if you're skeptical, I promise like a skeptical in therapy is better than somebody not in therapy. Like, and even just like the, even just the power of knowing that like there's, again, there's so many people that have gone through this before you and like, there's camaraderie in that and, and talking about it, like just having the courage to talk about it is huge. Um, and again, you know, I've faced negative, negative, negative reactions from people that I truly care about. And, you know, it does get better. Like it's cheesy to hear, but it does get better and better. And I want to emphasize that better doesn't mean having like a relationship with them. Like, unfortunately, sometimes better is having the freedom and the power to build boundaries and protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And that, and that means it will be better. Yeah. And so, yeah, being confident in yourself, finding help boundaries are huge. And again, just knowing that like, there's so much power in asking for help. Yeah. And so if you need help, like there's so many people like whether it's somebody that you know or somebody you don't know, like I imagine if you're listening to this podcast right now, like you know one of us, like <laughs> tell us, like we want to help you. And if by some chance you found it and we don't know you, like still, like my DMs are open, like come find yeah. me on Instagram. Like mm-hmm. I like just believe in that so much of there's power mm. in asking. So ask for help. Right. That's so good. Well, my final final question for you. Uh, would you mind just giving us some practical tips for those who either are, you know, in the beginning kind of process of, of needing help, um, or kind of in that thick of it. Um, how would you encourage an individual? I mean, you just kind of gave us some really, you gave us really good practicals, but even Mm -hmm. just for the sense of self, um, yeah how would you encourage someone who feels less than or broken or maybe that God even forgot about them? How would you encourage them? Yeah, I think, um, you know, 
again, it's cheesy. It's oversaid, but it's the truth of God hasn't forgotten about you. God mm-hmm. loves you. Um, and not just a love of like, oh, I love you stuff. Like you're my friend. Like yeah. God loves you like so fiercely and holy, like more than anybody on this planet could. Yeah. And it's a love that like pulls you out. And when you're in the thick of it, um, one thing that really helped me is like progress is not linear. Mm-hmm. Like it's never going to be the straight and narrow up. Like there's so many times where I had to almost break more to be, to come out of it. Because again, we, what we don't realize is when we're trying to survive, we build walls and layers on top of things Yeah, that when we start to heal, we get to this place that we think, Oh, like we're at this plateau when no, like really like you got to break that down. You got to dig deeper because you have to get into the root of it. And so if you feel like, you know, you're just starting this, like, like it's going to get better. And there'll be times where it feels like it's not, but it is Mm -hmm. if you're in the thick of it right now. And you're like, this is so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Like I've been there. Mm -hmm. I've been places where I was like, dang, it would have been so much easier just to like keep my mouth shut and like, just ride it, you know? Um, and yeah, like maybe it would have been easier for a time, but that would have run out quick. Mm -hmm. And the freedom that I have now. And again, like I'm not perfect. Like I'm not all better. Like I still actively, there are things I'm working through, especially we go through different phases of life, you know, like getting married, like sparked things in me that I was like, Oh, like I have to work on (laughs) being Mm -hmm. a mom, like has already where I'm like, there are certain things that I still have to work on because I want better for my kid. I want better from my husband and I as parents, like, and again, like that's okay. Like admitting that is okay. And yeah, just realizing that if you're putting an effort, even if it's the smallest amount, like, yeah, like that's good. And God's going to honor that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even, you know, like take out, like, take that out for a second of like your body will honor it. Like you will honor it because the body carries trauma. And so if you're actively making work, like you're going to see so much difference and just like, how you respond to things, how you carry yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, just honor the process. It's not linear. Hold on to what you know is true. And really one of the biggest things and like the truest truth is that like God is in it with you and he's going to carry you through. And it's not at all going to look like what you thought it was, but it's holy work. And it's like the best work you can do for yourself. So. Amen. Wow. Uh I just love Spencer. I know you guys are. <laughs> it's so, it's just so encouraging to have brave voices coming on and people who really fought for the things of God, um, in the midst of hearing lies of, of having discouragement. Um, so I'm just, I mean, I, myself, I'm super encouraged by this conversation. Would you mind just praying us out and yeah, absolutely people listening? Cool. Holy God, creator of all, connector of all, savior of all. Mm. I pray that for those that are listening and for those in their lives that they can find courage to fight for freedom Mm -hmm. through their mind, freedom in their body, freedom in their life. And knowing that mental health is valid 
and it's something that you see and you are in the midst of. And that prayer and petition is so powerful, but you also have given us power to help each other, to help other humans through it. And I pray that you would open doors for them to seek and to find communities, whether that's spiritual communities, professional communities, any sort of people that are willing to listen and help and give them hope and drive them to places of freedom that they never thought they could. Mm-hmm. And I pray for, you know, those that are still skeptical or those that are afraid of what others will say again, to give them courage, God, to give them courage and a peace because the best courage I've ever received is when you've given me peace that mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. And I pray that all of us can understand that we can all benefit from one another. We can all benefit from stories. We can all benefit from seeking professional help. We can all benefit again from finding, finding people that you have placed in our lives because again, you've connected us all through the spirit. I pray that these words that we've shared have been encouraging to people and that we could just find community and we can find life in each other because truly life thrives when we're connected to other people and when we realize that connection comes from you. So in the name of the father who creates the spirit, who connects and the son who saves. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So good. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning into another Friday with the sit down. We are praying for you constantly. Know that even though we don't know your name, you are covered um, and our God knows your name which is, it's much cooler. So have a great week, everybody. And we will see you for the next episode.